Hello and welcome to episode 2 of SciSpace, a journal for healing, growth, and discovery. You can find blog posts and other related material at www.scispace.blog. That's C-Y-S-P-A-C-E dot B-L-O-G. In this episode, I wanted to dive into the theme of SciSpace. I've called it a learning journal, but learning journals are deeply meta and hard to describe in less than a few sentences. In my own words, a learning journal is a tool for deeply and intentionally studying a subject. What makes it meta is that you're not just learning the subject, but a whole suite of skills and tools that help you learn and express the topic. In most learning journals, you're talking to a class, a class with one student, yourself. The beauty of this is it becomes a template for other people to learn about the same subject in the future. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening. I know it's been a minute since the last podcast, but here I am, ready to express myself. You know, when I started telling people I had begun a blog and podcast, they'd, of course, ask me what it's about. And I'd say, basically, it's a learning journal. They'd say, what's a learning journal? And I would struggle to elaborate on what a learning journal is because it's a process more easily shown than explained. The most famous example of a learning journal I could give is Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. It was not called the learning journal. It was never even meant to be published. And yet it exemplifies exactly what a learning journal is. His personal writings and meditations read like he's trying to teach someone he was himself. And because he was writing to himself, he created a template for others to learn from whatever wisdom he had The problem with this example is that it's a rather difficult read and requires some thoughtful contemplation. Plus, I find bro philosophers tend to flock to him. I think a simpler approach might be to just practice the concept in front of you. I can practice a learning journal around a subject, and by doing so, you'll gain a better understanding of it. You'll also see the start of a working template. I mentioned in the introduction that a learning journal is a tool for deeply and intentionally learning a subject. The subject can be specific or broad, like Marcus Aurelius's entire life. But for the sake of explanation, let's go down the line and make our focus around mental health. We obviously want to be mentally well. Some things that make us mentally well overlap with all certain or specific individuals. Some might be totally unique to us, but chances are, if it works for you, it will benefit someone else out there. In any case, Let's start with general solutions. Some things that make us all mentally well are balanced diet, exercise, sleep, work-life balance, and socializing. Each one of these could be the subject of a learning journal. When you realize this, here are some questions that may come to mind. Should I narrow the scope? Should I focus on one before the other? How do I keep track of all of this? These are questions I asked myself while writing this. My conclusion was I didn't need to narrow the scope necessarily. I could focus on smaller components to achieve the larger goal. Having said that, the last question needs further consideration. I need tools to help me track this process. I wanted something that could help me express ideas, experiment, be a little playful. It couldn't be a simple spreadsheet or database itself. I also needed a way to share this with others so that I can gain insight. I decided to explore diagrams and mind maps as a potential solution. If you asked me before this week how often I've done a mind map, I couldn't tell you. I've probably done it once or twice in my life. In any case, the scenario I've presented seems well suited for some practicing of the skill. I knew this was going to be a rather large mind map, so instead of using a piece of paper, 
I decided to research software that would help me create creative diagrams or mind maps. The first app I tried was Nebo. I was actually just gonna default to this and utilize their diagram utility, but this had limitations. I still don't understand why I can only expand diagrams up and down and not left and right. And in free mode, I can't use the diagrams. Nebo is a great tool and I'll discuss it further in another podcast, but it wasn't going to serve my needs here. Then there's Muse. Muse is this iOS app that is totally fun to use. The fact that I could have nested whiteboards to further express my ideas around a subtopic made it incredibly fun place to mind dump. It has a few issues that made it a no-go for me though. One is the lack of structure. I did not find it easy to know where I was in my mind mapping journey. Connecting cards felt like a loose relationship, not the solid one that existed in some database that I can reference later. The second problem is I don't write particularly well. I like to write, but sometimes it's difficult to read my own notes. So the benefit of say Nebo is that if I can't read some of my notes, I can double tap on it and it'll turn it into text and it does a pretty good job of deciphering what I wrote. So when writing within Muse, I have to be extra careful or type, which defeats one of its greatest advantages. The other con is it's iOS only and I work on a lot of platforms. Also, my iPad is dying. It's five years old going on six. It's like the first iPad Pro. So once that dies, I don't have any access to it. On top of that, it's subscription-based. I don't mind paying for a good app, but the fact that I have to pay you annually is not my cup of tea for this type of app, at least. This led me to the last app I tried, which is My Mind. That's M-I-M-I-N-D. If it wasn't for the fact that my iPad Pro is dying, I would have never looked at this application, but since it was, and I have a smaller tablet, a Samsung Tab S6 Lite that I purchased for reading in text-to-speech functionality, I've had to read quite a bit more, and my eyes easily get fatigued, so having something read a bunch of PDFs to me is helpful. But I would have never made this purchase had there existed a modern e-ink reader that supported text-to-speech. Why this functionality has been removed is beyond me. So it served that sole purpose to start, but it has surprised me in a lot of ways. I decided to explore the Google Play Store for some options on tablet apps, which led me to this app. The name honestly reminds me of some old suspicious Android apps that you probably shouldn't download, but it had such rave reviews that I decided to give it a shot. I'm so glad I did. Not only does this application work on Mac OS, Windows 10, Android, iOS, but it is extremely well developed. You can choose different schemas, but for the sake of getting the ball rolling, I opted to utilize the freeform manual schema. You can also choose styles and templates before creating your map, but I opted to start with a blank map. When you choose options as I have, you start off with a single cell named after the title of your map. Makes sense. This is the focal point. Tapping on the cell displays a series of options, taking a nearly square shape around your cell. The options I choose most often from this are the child option. This creates a new cell immediately attached to the cell that the request originated from. There's this notes option, which adds a note to the selected cell. So you can type additional ideas or information about that particular cell. Connect allows you to connect cells that aren't originally connected. You can choose the shape of your cells. By default, it takes this pill form, but there are a bunch of options like clouds, circles, and squares. The color option obviously changes the color of the cell, but you can also group a bunch of cells together and change the color of that group, which is what I've done for my particular use. So I have mental health at the center, and then I have sleep in blue, exercise in red, social life in pink, mental wellness in purple, work life in yellow, and diet in green. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to be focusing on diet, sleep, exercise, and mental wellness. 
social life and work life, I'll leave for another time. By the way, if you go to my website and go to the blog post associated with this episode, you will see pictures of this particular application and the mind maps I created. The cool thing about my mind is I can actually export the entire mind map and it's outlined as an HTML file. I can export it as a PDF, as an image. I can just export parts of it. It's very useful. Like I said, I will post it on my post <laughs> so that you can take a look at that. So anyway, I have created my mind map and let's just explore these different clusters, starting with what I consider the most important one, the sleep cluster. I've briefly mentioned how much I value sleep in my initial post on SciSpace.blog and a little bit within this podcast. Nevertheless, sleep is very much a work in progress for me. So the child branches of sleep are chronotype, sleep rituals, sleep log, and dream log. These are all areas I think I can work within that will help me improve the quality of my sleep. So in regards to chronotype, chronotype is our propensity to sleep at a particular time within a 24-hour period. In spite of the tyranny of being told we all sleep around a similar time frame, humans evolved to have variations in their sleep patterns. I've tried to take a simple quiz to get a general idea, but as I attempted to answer the questions, I realized I didn't know the answers for myself. My sleep has been so erratic over the years that I'm not sure when I, for example, normally get tired. As such, this branch only has one child. Gather more data. Down the road, I'll revise this. The sleep rituals branch could have been named sleep hygiene. I just found it more meaningful to use the term ritual. The idea of a ritual makes it more purpose-driven in my mind, as if I'm trying to become more deeply connected with sleep. Sleep rituals has eight children. Meditate right before bed, stop drinking fluids, two to three hours before bed, stop drinking coffee by noon, and to limit myself to two cups. Clean my face, brush my teeth, take medication 30 minutes before bed, stop work two hours before bed, keep electronics away from the bed, and finally, sleep eight to nine hours. So the reason I have decided to meditate right before bed, for example, is in another cluster I've mentioned I want to meditate for mental wellness and the type of meditation I'm going to explore further, transcendental meditation, suggest doing it twice a day. So I figured, hey, if there's some studies that say meditating before bed helps sleep, why not put one of the two right before sleep? And to stop drinking fluids two or three hours before bedtime is really just so I don't wake up to use the restroom. Stop drinking coffee by noon and to limit myself to two cups is because the caffeine half-life is around five to ten hours so i figure if i'm going to go bed around 9 to 11 p.m at night i should be fine with the caffeine in my body cleaning my face and brushing my teeth is self-explanatory it's just nice to go to bed clean taking medication 30 minutes before bed well none of my medication really states it has a sleep side effect but i do tend to feel drowsy around 30 minutes after taking it so it just seemed like a good idea to do it then the reason i want to stop working two hours before bedtime is if i'm working Working right up until the point I'm going to bed, I'm quite wired, so I want to come down from working. And really, it's not healthy to be working right until bedtime anyway, so it makes sense to me. Keeping electronics away from bed is another kind of self-explanatory one. I don't want the light pollution. I don't want random notifications to go off if I forgot to silence my phone.
phone. So all I have next to my bed right now is a $20 alarm clock I bought off Amazon that I can completely dim the lights. It doesn't even look like an alarm clock when the lights are off. And all it does is serve that purpose. Sleeping eight to nine hours is another kind of self-explanatory one. Unless you fall into a very, very small percentage of humans, you need around seven to nine hours. And there are a bunch of studies that say that. So I kind of covet trying to achieve that regularly. So aside from sleep, the diet cluster is the most important component to mental health that I can think of. It's also the heaviest one for me. I know the eating habits that work well for my body, but as I've mentioned both in my podcast and on my website, without knowing how you develop the habit, it is easy to fall out of a good one. With that in mind, this cluster includes six components, some incorporating what has worked in the past and others that are meant to log my journey so I know how I form those habits. The branches included here are meal prep, cookbook, intermittent fasting, nutrition log, calorie log, and weight log. So for meal prepping, I've separated it into two subcategories. One is meal prepping I can do at home when I have the time. And the other is delivery services where I can order, say, a week of food ahead of time. Then I realized in the age of COVID, a cheaper alternative to these meal delivery services might just be DoorDash. I can make a list of places I can order from that have reasonably portioned meals, or I can separate the meals and portion it out across different meals. For meal prepping at home, I feel like my repertoire of recipes is kind of limited. And the ones that I try, I tend to forget because I don't cook as often as I'd like. But since we're moving to a new home where that will change, I have warmed up to the idea of creating a cookbook similar to my website, but dedicated to cooking where I just have a repository of recipes that I can cook whenever I have the time. And I'm very excited about that idea. You know, in the previous episode, I mentioned that I was in the best shape of my life about seven years ago. And at the time, my personal trainer said to not necessarily cut calories, but to stop eating at a certain time and also to eat at specific moments during the day. For those of you familiar with intermittent fasting, that's pretty much what this is. So I want to incorporate that into my life rather gradually. So to start, I'm going to stop eating any food, no snacking, four hours before bed, and we'll go from there. But eventually I want to make sure there's about eight to 12 hours where I don't eat. And I found that that is beneficial official to my body. We'll see how that works as we get more data. And speaking of data, my calorie nutrition log. So obviously calorie counting can be detrimental to your health and so is extreme calorie cutting. But I have found that the portions I eat tend to creep up and grow over time as I somehow do these mental gymnastics to justify it. And it happens very, very slowly. And then you reach a point where you think you're not really eating that much. But then when you log it, and by log, I mean put down the nutritional content, you're rather shocked or somehow oddly not shocked because you've knew this at one point and you lost that. And in any case, the point I'm getting at is it's very important for me to log what I eat and to know the nutritional content. Having said that, that's a very tedious process. So I have created an Excel sheet with a little bit of coding so that I have a food list sheet that has like nutritional contents of foods I eat often. And then I have a daily calculator sheet and that's the food I've eaten that day that grabs information from the food list sheet.
At the end of the day, I copy the totality of my nutritional content for that day, and then I put it into the daily log sheet. At some point, I'm going to create a copy of this, but make it empty, and then I'll put some type of tutorial perhaps on YouTube for people to utilize themselves if they find it useful. So I will put that in my blog post once it's done. So in terms of a weight log, I own this scale called the Renfo Body Fat Scale. This along with the associated app allows me to gather metrics beyond my weight, such as body fat percentage, BMI, subcutaneous fat, fat-free body weight, visceral fat, body water, skeletal muscle, muscle mass, bone mass, protein, BMR, and metabolic age. BMR, by the way, stands for body metabolic rate. I don't know how accurate it is, but it gives me, you know, this general idea to show where I'm going. And the plus is I can export it as a CSV file so that I can analyze it later. In any case, it's a nifty way to track my progress. So now let's talk about the exercise cluster. I can't think of anything that causes me so much dread to consider doing, yet so much joy and relief after the fact than exercise. There's a lot to analyze in that sentence, but we'll save that for another time. The exercise cluster has four children, cardio, strength training, flexibility, and an exercise database. So under the cardio branch, I mostly talk about my new stationary bike. I find treadmills to be the best source of cardio in terms of calories burned, but I have found it's become too much of a chore. Midway through the pandemic, I bought this Schwinn IC4. It's cheaper than the Peloton. It integrates with a lot of things so I can vary my workouts, including the Peloton app, but I can also use it for Zwift, which is like a video game bicycle app, or I could just play video games on there or watch TV shows. And all I have to do is keep my heart rate up. It also comes with a heart rate monitor, by the way. When it comes to the strength training branch, I actually have quite a lot of equipment. So I've just listed it here. It includes dumbbells, barbells, kettlebells, and resistance bands. Strength training is something I enjoy a lot, but to keep track of the workouts for measuring progress and variation of the workouts I do, I'll need to create some sort of exercise database that I mentioned in this cluster. This takes us to the flexibility branch. Uh, this is definitely my weakest link. I'm still researching this branch and considering this video program to improve my flexibility. I'd also track this in the exercise database. So the last one I'm going to talk about today is the mental wellness cluster. As much of our mental health relies on sleep, diet, and exercise, there are things within mental health that support itself and the other clusters in return. This cluster includes therapy, meditation, support groups, and journaling. So with therapy, I'm someone who believes that regardless of your state of mental well-being, you can benefit from it. I just consider it this life hack that people don't think about in that way. This, of course, requires you to find a therapist that you can be intimate with, that you can trust, and that takes time. So be mindful of that if you're considering this for yourself. Meditation is something I've coveted for a while, and I've only recently got a taste of its powers. I'd like to cultivate this, ideally in a group setting to keep me more accountable. Although for now, I've opted just to put transcendental meditation, which I've listed here. This involves kind of repeating a mantra in your head. I'm not too familiar with it. Just a lot of people tout its powers. And I'm curious, so I'm going to research it more. Support groups take a lot of different forms for me. Workout sessions with friends, meditation sessions, even gaming with buddies. I'm involved in a group called the Male Minority Initiative. I find it incredibly powerful and therapeutic. And last but not least is journaling. It's hard for me to explain the power of journaling. For mental healing purposes, James Pennebacher's books on expressive writing will give you a good glimpse into what this can do for you. I consider this website to be part of my journaling experience, among other more private notaries. As I've mentioned, 
mentioned, I'm not going to touch on the social and work-life clusters today, but if you visit my website down the road, I will update the post related to this podcast with those clusters more developed down the road. So what have we learned? Personally, just by sharing this example, I have gained a new skill and tool, mind mapping and the app My Mind. By utilizing both, I have organized ideas around improving my mental health that will help me in so many ways. Over time, as I develop this learning journal further, it will serve as a template for others who want to take a similar path. And I'm sure along the journey, I will pick up new skills and tools that will serve me in the future as well. Hopefully this practice helps you see not only what a learning journal is, but how transformative it can be. In this exercise, I'm both the student and the teacher. And as such, I or anyone else can jump into either role at any time. We can take this working template, utilize it, and improve upon it. This podcast actually became more of how to organize a learning journal than explaining precisely what a learning journal is. Perhaps that's sufficient, but over time I'll modify the blog post associated with this episode so that it paints a clearer picture. I also have material now to create a couple of videos, so stay tuned for that. Anyway, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or insight, please reach out to me. You can contact me at www.sciespace.blog forward slash contact. And as mentioned, you can find blog posts and other related material at the website sciespace.blog. Thank you for listening and take care. Thank you.